Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. This podcast is part of a series called Supporting Children Through Drought. G'day, I'm Drew Radford. In this episode, we'll focus on supporting your child's social connections with family, friends, school and hobbies. Children need positive time spent with family, friends and doing the activities they enjoy. Most of all, they need time to be kids, which includes regular routines at home and school. To delve into this, we're going to be speaking with mental health professionals and most importantly, to parents from remote locations about their own experiences. One of whom is Kirsty, who's from a property in the far north of South Australia, an isolated location that requires a lot of effort when it comes to socialising. Even though we're very remote, we'll go to a Gymkhana or a Bronco branding or come down like for a conference or something. And when that happens, because there's lots of people doing the same thing, they don't just mingle with a child the same age. They're mingling with children from newborns through to adults pretty well. So there's not that line between you know, kids just hang out with their same year groups. But um, we go to a lot of events and, yeah, it's just making the effort, making the effort to give the opportunities to the kids to actually socialise. And technology's played a massive part in improving that now. Like, we don't have huge internet and data to use, but not very often, but the kids do have the opportunity to FaceTime a friend and and they sit on there and change faces and giggle. And it's all that sort of... So you can actually see the person. But also with School of the Air, it's all online now. So they often do see the the person like on, on screen. So even though it's through a computer, it's... Yeah, they still have a lot of interaction with other kids. Thanks, Kirsty. That's a really good picture of how all the age groups mix in together when they do get those few opportunities to socialise. To discuss this further, I'm joined in the Emerging Mind studio by psychologist Dr Andrea Baldwin. Andrea, thanks for your time. And in terms of those social connections with family and friends, how important is that for infants and really young children? Drew, it's really important. Babies and young children learn how to be social beings through socialising with other people from early on. So Kirsty talked about the importance of seizing those opportunities to get together with other people when you can. If you are very isolated, as she said, you can use technology to connect with grandparents, other family, friends, community, school of the air, kindy. Don't forget, you can also still use snail mail. So young children love making cards, writing actual letters, doing artworks to send to people, and they love getting things in the mail themselves. And sometimes you need to be a bit creative about what does socialisation mean? How do you help them socialise? So reading books with them and telling stories with them is another way to broaden their range of social experiences because they get to identify with characters and situations that they might not have experienced themselves. So if you Google Birdie's Tree, Birdie with an IE, there's a website there with books and games that help support young children and families going through tough times, including drought. And don't forget also um, pets and animals and favourite toys. Children will have tea parties with their toys. All of these are ways that they practice social behaviour and social connections. Andrea, what are some ways a parent can include regular routines with children in this age group? Well, Drew, young children really benefit from routines, from having some structure in their day and some familiar routines that they can rely on. They like to have some sense of what's going to happen in the day and what's going to come after what. 
it can actually be really difficult to maintain routines during drought because there can be unexpected demands and changes for the family. So maybe parents are working long hours, maybe one parent has to work away or relocate with the children. Um, any of these disruptions can be quite confusing and upsetting for babies and young children who don't fully understand what's going on. So as well as the open conversations that we've talked about in previous podcasts, spending time together and tuning into how they're feeling, one thing that parents can do that really helps them is to maintain some routines that help them feel life has some predictability, that things make sense, they're not chaotic. So trying to have regular times in the day for meals, for nap time, active play, quiet play, and bedtime, um, bath time, rituals like washing your hands before meals, uh, putting toys away after playing. Bedtime routines are especially important. They give the parent and child some pleasant, relaxed time together. So maybe a song or a story, tucking in with the favourite teddy, the particular words you say each night when you wish them sweet dreams. You could maybe sing the same lullaby that your parents sang to you. These little family jokes and customs and traditions can help children feel a sense of continuity. At times might be good or they might be challenging, but the family goes on and can get through things together. Dr. Andrea Baldwin, thank you for joining me in the Emerging Mind studio. You're very welcome, Drew. Dr. Andrea Baldwin, some great perspectives and suggestions there for supporting socialising opportunities for your young children and infants. Thank you for joining me in the Emerging Mind studio. Let's turn our attention to slightly older children now. And the more isolated your location, not only is it more difficult to provide socialising opportunities, it's also more expensive. However, for a lot of parents, like Amy, who's from a station near Roxby Downs, they don't let that stop them. Finances are a big issue, but I always make a big point of whenever there's a local event on, we will go to it. Even if it's up at Unidata, we'll travel up now that we're at a property where we can have those weekends and long weekends, days that we can get away. So whenever there's a school function, we always make the effort to spend the whole time down there so that kids have got the most chance to spend with their friends because that's the only chance they get. So we um, yeah make sacrifice of going down. What's the payoff? What do you see in the in the behaviour of the children? Um, they are exhausted by the end of the day. <laughs> so, but no, they love it and they get to spend time with their friends. They get out to play, run around. And they talk about it for weeks afterwards. And every time we get to our online lessons, it opens up more communication with the kids because they don't get there every day socialising in school. So those events, they make up for it. Thanks, Amy. That's a great insight of still needing a physical community connection beyond the virtual online community. To discuss this further, I'm joined in the Emerging Minds studio by psychologist John Dean. Thanks for your time. John, I imagine fostering those social connections is often difficult when money's tight. Yeah, I found it really interesting listening to Amy because I attended the Youth Drought Summit last year and the young people there were saying that they really valued opportunities to get together face-to-face and that didn't have to happen that often because that then provided a springboard into just maintaining contact through virtual means like through social media or the phone or whatever and so I think you know Amy's got the right idea that having some contacts really important 
but those relationships can be fostered and maintained through other means. I think it also depends a little bit on the age of the kids uh, and young people. So when children are quite a bit smaller, their key relationship really is with their parents and their siblings. And so it may not be quite so important as perhaps it is for adolescents where their peer group becomes really important and they learn a lot through their relationships with their peer groups. So Amy's quite right, the financial sort of resources might be stretched and you might not be able to do that as often as you'd like to. But um, I think uh, it's worth cutting yourself a little bit of slack, particularly when the kids are quite a bit younger because an important relationship really is with their parents at that stage. So prioritising some contact with other children is important, but don't let that put unreasonable stress on yourselves and others. Thanks, John. That's a really nice balanced perspective that I'm sure a lot of parents would appreciate. Parents are constantly juggling meeting these needs and complicating it further is what might work for one child doesn't necessarily work for the other, which is something Jane, who is from a station on Eastern Air Peninsula, recently discussed with me. It depends on the individual child too. Like I've got one child that's social, the other one's not so social. But um, so you just work with that as best you can. So for the social one, that's through social media, which a lot of young people are on. But I think the importance is that face-to-face contact. So as much as we can, we do encourage and promote that face-to-face contact and, and catching up, even if it means I have to drive 200 k's for them to catch up with a mate and go and do something that most other town kids might do. You go that extra step to try and make that happen. Thanks for that, Jane. John, that really illustrates well that the social needs of one may not be the same as it is for the other. Yeah, that's right, Drew. And Jane, very correct in saying that because kids, even though they come from the same family, do grow up differently and start differently. You can see that in really small children that some are much more social. They'll go to someone else very easily, whereas others won't. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way they are. And um, to nurture that and reinforce that with your child can sometimes be quite difficult when there are limitations to what you can do. Again, it fits in very well with what the young people were saying at the drought summit that um, they don't need that much face-to-face contact, but they really do want a level of face-to-face contact. And then they're quite prepared to use social media and other ways of maintaining those relationships and again as we've discussed before with young people we need to also monitor that a little bit so we know they're not getting themselves into difficulties um, online which can be a bit of a pitfall. You right, rightly point out there, though, too, John, about the limitations of what you can actually do. And, and this is a bit of crystal ball gazing, but with COVID-19, some of those social activities which might have been going and staying at a friend's property for a few days, we don't know what that's going to be down the track. So maybe those few social interactions that you talked about, we're not sure how often they're going to be in the future. Well, that's true, Drew, but... I guess we don't want to underestimate, I suppose, the creativity and initiative of young people to make the best of what they've got. 
they're very much better at using, say, social media than what perhaps those of my generation are. And uh, I would suspect that they'll make a fair fist of maintaining those relationships through what they have that they can use. That's a very astute point, John. Social media, by its very name, is a socialising opportunity and it really is just another type of community these days. The differences in what a community is and the social opportunities it presents is actually something I recently discussed with Belinda, who is from a property in the Flinders Ranges. I look at some of my friends that live further north than me and some that live, you know, up past Coobapiti, up past Udnadatta. They have different opportunities than us. So in our area, there's not the big, small community gatherings like there is in, say, William Creek, Udnadatta, where they often have their Gymkhanas and their Bronco brandings. I think their sense of community is probably different to ours because they have to make that effort, otherwise they would see nobody. Whilst we try to socialise, I think small country towns tend to sometimes have different groups of people and you tend probably not to socialise outside of your small group of friends or your small sporting team or whatever. Whereas when you live in the wider outback, I think everybody becomes part of that community. John, it's a great description from Belinda that even though communities may look different, they're still communities and that's what counts. Yeah, well, I think the common denominator there, Drew, is that community is important to everybody, uh, no matter what it might look like. And my experience would be that smaller communities in rural and remote locations have actually changed quite a bit over the last couple of decades and uh, often include much more diverse people within those communities. But when I've engaged with young people around their experience of drought and living in smaller communities, they talk to me about how safe they feel in those communities. There's safety in, I suppose, being able to predict what the communities are like, but also safety in just knowing everybody. You know, I've had young fellas tell me it's great that the police officer knows them by their first name. I'm not sure that I would have thought that was great, but they do. And you know, I can remember one particular girl in a little community that I was in telling us that um, she really liked it, that she was able to walk down the street in her PJs after dark and get a pizza and not feel unsafe at all. So there's lots of positive things about small rural communities that make young people feel safe. And that can be carried over even into virtual communities when you know the people that you're talking to, you've got a private community to talk to, there's not the danger of others coming in who might not know you. So there's often great ways of coming together and um, you know, there's been mention about sport and other social events like the fact that there's still dead balls and that sort of thing that happen outside of these COVID times. But even uh, there's some sort of celebration of Anzac Day and with restrictions being lessened a little bit, there'll be other opportunities to meet at least in smaller groups. But there is a downside to living in a small community also, and that is that groups are easily formed, but sometimes people are left out because of some difference. It may be to do with culture or it may be to do with, you know, it might be a gay person or someone who is different in some way who doesn't necessarily fit into those smaller groups within 
smaller communities and that can be really difficult for those people so fostering a sense of community for all is really important i think and institutions like the local school can be really important to that because kids go to school no matter what their background is it's also there i guess john about everyone's experiencing adversity but that community gives you opportunity to show compassion and also empathy as well Yes, certainly. That idea that everybody's going through something together can be really a way of bringing community together and um, people feeling like they're working together to deal with a difficult situation. Psychologist John Dean, thank you very much for sharing your insights on the importance of supporting your children's social connections. Drew, I think it's really important that young people develop socially, so that's an important topic. If this podcast brings up any difficult emotions for you, please reach out to someone you can talk to or call Lifeline on 13114 or the Beyond Blue support service on 1300 224636 at any time. Thank you for joining us for our Supporting Children Through Drought podcast series. This podcast series has been made possible by funding from Country South Australia Primary Health Network and in collaboration with Parents from Isolated Children's Parents Association SA Branch, Remote Isolated Children's Exercise, Queensland Centre for Perinatal and Infant Mental Health in Children's Health Queensland Hospital, and Health Service and School Link and Got It programs, and New South Wales Health Murrumbidgee Local Health District. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health program. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au 